Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey everybody, it's Sunday. That means it's a live edition of the main course. Of course, if you've downloaded it, I guess it's a repeat. But uh, we have a special honoree Hall of Fame engineer in, in-house today. Wow. And, and producer. Hey, Jack, how's it going? I'm good. Thanks for the intro. So what's transpired in all these months since you've been uh, in studio on a Sunday? You've been working quite a lot in the headquarters in the hive the hive yeah i like that as the name for the local it. hive yeah along with aaron uh you know things are moving fast we've got tons of new projects we had a, a very successful salon party that you were at last night with none other than mark ladner yes i was most amazed at that event i mean besides how delicious the sandwiches are that he invented and had designed for him this little 50 skewer rotisserie it was like a Lilliputian rotisserie thing, and you could literally make 50 sandwiches all at once just with these little rotating things. And all the heat came out of a little, uh, what was it, like a little air tube, right? And yeah. We, we, we stuck it out the, the front door, and, and it is basically a no-smoke process. It was great. I mean, uh, kind of like a fast food bite, you know? Those How little, many people showed up? I would say probably around 75 or so throughout the course of the night, which was nice for that space. Yeah, and uh, how much money did you raise? Did you reach your goals? Because uh, as, of course, everyone knows, Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit, 501c3 organization. So uh, Absolutely. did you With guys raise? Mem- I must say, a membership drive in May. So once May starts, Ooh. that's, you know, well, pe- May pedal is also to the metal. When you're doing your next event. So we want to thank Mark Ladner and Del Posto for coming in and really launching our salon series with a big name like that. Uh, if people have not been to Del Posto, it's, uh, among other things, the first ever four-star non-Japanese, French, that's or right. American restaurant ever. So, uh, you know, that's as a high Mitchell honor. Davis says, the lunch at Del Posto is the best value move in New York City. Oh, very interesting. Well, it looks like someone's fishing for a free meal. <laughs> um, so, tell us about your Hawaiian Underground party. Yeah. That's a big event. That I mean, is that has huge. Delaney Barbecue, Heritage Food USA, Untitled, Maysville, Court Street Grocers, Roberta's Catering, Gramercy Tavern, Brooklyn Grange. Oh, yeah. Empire Brewing and Fora. Which is what a beer as well, or and four is the beverage company behind the Joe Campanelli's restaurant, so they'll ah. be providing some wine and m- music by DJ Reaganomics. Reaganomics, you know, we figure for a liberal food event, we'll get some Reaganomics in there. So, how's that event play out? Like, what's uh, what would people experience if they showed up to? Which well, is May nineteenth. May nineteenth. That's right. It's a Sunday, and it's a it's a whole pig roast in the backyard of Roberta's. With you know, there'll be a campfire there. Uh, There'll be, as you said, music and food and an auction with incredible food art items and other surprises. I mean, this is like the big one that you want to go to. Where are you getting the pig from? Uh, that's a, I, I believe you guys Heritage Roots, yeah. I what, hope. What, what pig is it going to be? Can you disclose that? Um, well, I don't know what coming in that week. It's probably one of Lazy, lazy Ranch's Red Waddles. 
Um, but uh, I am. Uh, we're going to talk. Uh, we have our, our only guest for today. Uh, you know, whenever he comes into studio, we only have one guest. It's like, uh, you know, Bette Midler and Robin Williams were for Johnny Carson. When they came on, those were the only people that, that got their thing. They would always have some comic at the end that they would list at the beginning, but they would inevitably bump him. So uh, we're going to be talking to Zach Kell, the chef of uh, a very important restaurant in New York City called Community Food and Drink, uh, which is uh, on the Upper West Side. So he'll be on. But as uh, you know, I I like uh, Sunday mornings, you know, people wake up, they've been out late. So I always like to do my introduction on Sunday mornings to kind of put people back into that sleep mode. But uh, I have been reading for this book that I'm writing all these books about, uh, you know, things that I didn't know enough about to write about. And uh, one of the chapters is a hero's chapter. So the heroes in the book are Prince Charles is one, Temple Grandin, the animal rights activist, is another, and Ted Turner. I just knew I had to put this guy as one of my top five because as the largest landowner in the United States, he is actually one of the reasons he wanted to become the biggest landowner was to recreate the traditional migration lines of the bison in the American West. It's still amazing that even someone could do such a thing in this day and age, but he's successfully done it. And I'm reading this book called Call Me Ted. And, um, you know, it's been very reassuring almost to read that book because, you know, when I left Slow Food to start Heritage Foods, which, you know, sells 200 pigs a week and turkeys, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. And then then when we put these two shipping containers here for the radio... Uh, you know, we didn't, we weren't sure if we could pay for it or how it would work or anything, but we just went. And, you know, sometimes you feel like the world's caving in on you, but when you read a guy like Ted Turner's life, you're like, oh my God, that guy was working on a much bigger level. Um, he just started with like a little billboard company, Jack, if you can believe that. His father gave him a billboard company and they would pay about $25 a month to thousands of businesses throughout regions that they had the rights to, to, to put billboards up and they would advertise for, for things. Is this in Atlanta? Yep. It was based in Atlanta and in the South. His father was a very tough guy, but uh, you know, the billboard company, you know, which you know, was involved hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different people with different properties. And they'd be like, hey, you're in a really key curve of the highway. You own that land. Can we put a billboard up there for $25? And they would build the billboard and they'd need to know how to place it. So, you know, because they were a billboard company, it was important that they be part of the community and that they give to the local charities. So, I mean, they were really great community people throughout the South through the lens of this billboard company. So he takes that, he starts a radio station. I mean, he buys a radio station, an existing one. From there, he buys a TV, uh, a station, which, you know, has a few weird shows. And But, you know, he was in TV. He didn't care. Then he took advantage of that satellite moment, you know, and all of a sudden he created the fourth network, the super station. Um, and he relied on a little spot on the satellite he got. I mean, this guy owned the Atlanta Braves, which was a big thing in the major leagues because they did not like that he had a national team and that you could watch Braves games in Pittsburgh or New York or Seattle. I mean, you know, wow. he would become a real – he was a really brazen guy. Um, he sued CBS, NBC, and ABC in an antitrust suit, and uh, he bought MGM Studios in Hollywood. Anyway, he's a fascinating guy, and I haven't gotten to the end of the book, but, I mean, the guy goes on to become the 
largest landowner and he was just a brash guy who would like get on his hands and knees at board meetings and being like please i'm begging you i really want this please and and no one could take his uh vote against him because he was just a a charming guy and he was larger than life and uh you know i most admire him of course from the food thing the guy started a a chain of bison restaurants around the country i mean like i think his goal was 500 he might have gotten to 280 or something or 300 but that is impressive. I mean, the guy gave the bison a raison d'etre again here in the U.S. So uh, Ted Turner, weird guy, crazy guy, but definitely uh, commands respect. So wow. I recommend that book, Call Me Ted. Uh, we'll take a short break. Hey, I have two questions. Oh, for yeah, you, yeah. Though. Fire away, Jack. A, can we have Ted Turner on the show sometime? It's nice to know someone was listening, by the way. <laughs> um, yes, I think he would be an I, an evolutionary. Yeah. Well, describe evolutionaries for our listeners. And if Ted is listening, uh, maybe he'll agree once he hears you explain what Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Yeah, Evolutionaries is about a 25-minute uh, series. Each episode is about 25 minutes produced by Aaron Fairbanks and me. And uh, we interview the leaders who have changed the way we eat in this country and and not only just in food you know even outside of that and we edit down their story into a radio documentary that's very produced and there's music and narration and it's just a great way to get to learn how some of these people changed the world of food so these are big people big you've people, interviewed not yeah. just, so uh steve jenkins was your first because right. he was one of the first guys to introduce cheeses from europe and olive oils from europe and into then, the united uh, states mr food science himself harold mcgee on week two and now uh coming up next we have eric repair who i'm sure your listeners know of the guy behind le bernardin and uh tons more florence fabricant marion nestle wiley dufresne the mandavi family uh, jim mm. Leahy, joan digussow patrick martins mm. yeah not pr- familiar but no list. that is a very very impressive list thanks for uh including me in that yeah uh checks in the mail and what was your other question will you ever buy a sports team will i ever buy a sports team no but i will say i'm very happy actually you know i skipped over this because it wouldn't have made sense at the time 100 percent, i guarantee it spread it on the airwaves we're going to get into television we have to there's got to be one guy out there that would uh, uh find value in having cameras follow around the various tentacles of HRN uh, between Dave Arnold and uh, Katie Kiefer and Mike Edison and Heritage and what you do, Jack, and even our friend Tony Butler at uh, uh, Bread and Life. I think it would be, you know, maybe without the crazy drama that everyone thinks is necessary in reality television, but There'd be a lot of fascinating stuff behind the scenes at restaurants and and this and that. Don't you think it could work, Jack? Uh, Absolutely. You heard it here first. We just have to find someone simpatico. So just as you and Aaron are like, we're trying to wrap our heads around radio. (laughs) Trust me, TV will help radio. I guarantee it. So, um, no, very exciting. Uh, As for a sports team, I don't know. Do season tickets to the Nets count? (laughs) That's the first step, I think. Yeah, I could see Jay-Z through normal without using a device. So that's pretty good. There you go. All right, brother. Well, we will come right back with my friend, Zach Kell. Uh, Stay tuned to the main course. You're listening to Mad as Dogs by the Hollows on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edward Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. Well, very nice. So uh, I am here with Zach Kell. Welcome, Zach. Thank you. I only have two things on this outline, trip and tripping. <laughs> so, And actually tripping meaning two different things because we will not mention the blueberry pie episode, although that would have made uh, or four, five berry pie. Remember the five berry pie at the goods? Oh, the the crumble. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that. So um, we just took a trip together for four days. Uh, we were in a group of about ten people, and we drove around all these awesome heritage farms in Kansas. So I know this isn't a real question, but what were some of your thoughts and impressions from uh, seeing some of Midwest's heritage breed farmers? Well, you know, I'm from the Midwest originally, so I... I grew up around a lot of that stuff but i think really the biggest thing that that happened to me on the trip was just kind of like uh being reinvented and re-inspired into cooking and being in the restaurant because farm to table is like a big buzzword kind of thing that happens in a lot of restaurants right now mm-hmm. but it's rare that i think you you actually meet anybody in those restaurants that has actually been to the farm to see the pig, you know, <clears throat> and we try to do as local as possible, but there are certain things that are just easier to produce in the Midwest. And it's nice to go there and actually see that they're doing things properly and, you know, meet the pigs and see how they're being treated and where they're coming from and really have a connection. You know, like people can come into my place now and, and ask the servers about the food and they'll be like, yeah, we have someone on staff who has been to that farm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually inspired me to kind of continue that and go visit a lot okay. more of the farms in New York that we buy from as well. You know? Cool. Now, where did you grow up in the Midwest and were you co- closer connected to your food? being in the midwest or were you i mean that was the 80s so not particularly closer connected Mm -hmm. but i was uh i'm from indiana southern indiana and i grew up you know in the middle of nowhere on a gravel road and there were cows and horses and corn growing across Mm -hmm. the street and we did do some purchasing at like the local farmers markets and stuff and we grew a lot of our own vegetables in the summer and things like that but Mm. you know the bulk of the proteins was all coming from the local super grocery store yeah well we'll come back to the trip throughout the interview but i mean so where what other purveyors do you guys keep in touch with on a close level through your uh through your restaurant because i know you're part of a group right there's a a clinton street bakery yeah i mean they're not i wouldn't call them a group i see i see there are uh neil and dd kleinberg neil kleinberg and dd laman own clinton street baking company and they also own community but with a third partner okay um so they're the creative side so as far as creatively goes they're Mm -hmm. very similar between the two restaurants but financially they're they're totally separate they're totally separate yeah well community is a very interesting place just to contextualize it i mean it's on 112th yeah and uh broadway and uh, it's right next to Columbia University. So in a lot of different cities around the country, like where it's a very small town in the south, but it has a university, 
community food and juice could be that restaurant, you know, yeah, and yet absolutely. it's in Manhattan with a billion other restaurants and it maintains such a high level of sourcing because it has this whole university and education support behind it. So I'm very interested who you source from and what does your menu like look like besides the, the meats? Um, well, we, we try to keep it a little healthier because they're, you know, being at a university, you have a, a more health conscious crowd and it's refined, but not to a point of being overly contrived, you know, uh, being that we are actually like a true farm to table restaurant and we do use a lot of really high quality products. We don't need to put a whole lot into them. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got to be able to execute them, uh, properly to bring out the natural flavors because they're, they're just delicious as they are. But, um, I do a lot of work with the Union Square market, Lincoln Center markets. Well, um, you go to Union Square every Wednesday, right? You have to Wednesday, get there yeah. early and, and get the best stuff yeah. before it sells out? Yeah. Um, they set stuff aside for me, so I can huh. kind of take my time with when I show up. But You I, are charismatic. Buy, you can get yeah. there a few t- trips, and then it's reserved. Well, you know, once, you're, yeah, once you build that relationship and people know you're coming, then they – they pull it aside or, you know, I can even give them my order a week in advance or whatever and pick up like uh, just for to contact for people who did radio is not a visual thing. But Zach is a, a little bit Kevin Bacon, a little <laughs> bit James Dean. Uh, you know, he's a, maybe a got some Christian Paul Slater, Newman or something in there. He's a he's a definite energy. Certainly they'd remember you when you came back the next week. Yeah, they'd be like, yeah. all right, that's a guy from uptown. I have, I have two main people that I buy from at Union Square, uh, Lynn Haven. It's a goat milk creamery, so we get all of our goat cheese and all of our fetas, goat's milk feta, uh, we buy from her. I have a standing order with her. I get like, you know, 40 pounds a week or something. What do you do with all that goat milk? Um, Well, we don't actually use the goat milk. The goat's milk we buy from Bat and Kill. Have you ever heard of them? Yes, Um, I have. Lynn Haven, I just get the cheese from, and that goes in everything. I mean, as you know, Community does a large amount of brunch and breakfast business, so the goat's cheese and the feta cheese goes in omelets and mm. scrambles. Uh, we use it in a lot of salads, you know, mm. on the both the lunch and the dinner menu. Um, I also buy a large amount of produce from Migliorelli Farms okay, and from uh, Blooming Hill Farms, mm-hmm. uh, Samuscott Orchards we use, Satter Farms right out on Long Island. Yeah. We use them a lot for a lot of stuff. Uh, who else? You Do you guys. like the stuff that you buy uh, here? I mean, did you were you also a chef in Indiana? I forget. Uh, I was, and again, this was like in the late nineties. So it was things kind were of, different. Yeah, it was actually you know, I started there and I came here for a couple years, and I was back in Indiana for a year right at the time when slow food was first developed in right. like what was that two thousand or two thousand one? That's right, or something. I was a member for a little bit there, mm-hmm. and it was. Um, it was interesting to go back after coming to New York, doing culinary school, spending like a year in the field here, and then going back and seeing slow food and seeing restaurants there kind of trying to change and cope. <laughs> but it was... With the times. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, it was a totally different world. And yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, hey, this is what we should be doing. This all makes a lot of sense. And we're in the middle of farm country. Yeah. Like, why aren't we and we're eating from fast these guys? Food, yeah. yeah, totally. You know, everything's coming from Cisco. Who knows where that's, yeah. you know. All our good so. stuff is being shipped out. Yeah, exactly. Which is like third world, too. You know, these great yeah. countries in Africa and stuff are producing, like, uh, boysenberries for America. It's crazy. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So, you know, stuff like that does have a, a big effect. And uh, when we were back, me and my fiance, maybe two years ago. Who's here, but... Not talking. Yes. 
Um, we, we went to a place that I had helped open maybe six years ago, and we had a meal there for, I think it was New Year's, and it was actually one of the best meals I think I've huh. ever had in my life in, mm. you know, Bloomington, Indiana, which is, you know, a, is a college town, just <laughs> like kind of the uh, sectioned off Morningside Heights in Manhattan. Yeah. You can kind of get lost up there and forget that you're in New York. Exactly. It's, it's like a little but, island. But yeah, it's good to see, you know, a, a southern Indiana town being able to produce high quality food that's mm-hmm. actually being produced locally, you know, and, and taking advantage of that. So uh, when we took this trip, we went basically to a slaughterhouse for a day. Then we drove to Salina. Uh, well, we went to that uh, cozy and burger place. But we visited Frankie. Sorry, where that just Patrick shows you where my mind 72 is. 72 burgers. I just. Want everyone to know that seventy-two burgers—that's how many he bought. When we bought, they're very tiny. They're in the image of White Castle. But it was so funny that poor guy was overwhelmed when we walked in. Oh yeah, before yeah. we walked in. Well, we weren't the only ones ordering seventy-two burgers. No. you know, it was like was everybody like in line trucker. was like, "I'll take sixty-five." You know, <laughs> what was most crazy is that they kept the drive-through window open when it was just still that same dude. Yeah, yeah, and there like, was just those two guys, window. right? It was like those two yeah. guys, and they both did seven days a week, and yep. that guy had owned the place for like 20 years or something. Yeah. They were still cooking on the same griddle that was 96 years old. It had been there from like, the beginning. Yeah. I mean, the burgers still, I mean, you, for six ninety five, you get 30, I mean, you get some crazy number of burgers. I forget yeah, what each was, one cost. I think it was like like four fifty. you get six burgers and a soda and chips or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Little hole in the wall, but out and covered in all the media attention that they had gotten over the past century. Um, but so, I mean, then we went, to, yeah, we visited a heritage poultry farm where that guy has like dozens of breeds of chicken and poultry. We visited Who is a, a practicing anesthesiologist. That's yes. very interesting point about him yes exactly he's used to uh injecting things with needles but all of his <laughs> just for the record all of his chickens are naturally mating um they're not artificially inseminated then we visited a couple pig guys and a lamb guy uh did anything did you find anything unusual about the pork or the lamb or the poultry maybe that you didn't know before or that have informed your kind of view well, on proteins i mean the the pork farms are all pretty much what I'm used to from Indiana, um, and it's so it doesn't seem unusual because most of the production out there is small too. It would be like, you know, our neighbors had ten pigs, and so even smaller than what we saw. Right. Um, but they they weren't producing for you know to make money. It was like their pigs, you right? Know? Uh, Home pig killing in the yeah, winter, exactly eat it through March. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but it's you know it's all very wholesome stuff. So I I think that the unusual thing for me would be to visit like one of the mass producing indoor mm-hmm. farms or something like that. Uh, but I like really the the most eye opening thing was the poultry farm, mm-hmm. and kind of like that as being a basis or a jump off for what a lot of these guys are doing. Um, especially the fact that's why I wanted to mention that he was an anesthesiologist. So having a medical background, mm-hmm. he has you know a pretty serious like ethical training Mm. and bringing those ethics into what he's doing as far as raising poultry goes and seeing those same ethics reflected in what a lot of the pig farms are doing Mm -hmm. just as far as like doing no harm first and trying to to breed for a healthy animal and giving your animals uh, the best life that they can have and all that kind of stuff which is really what it should all be about you know yeah because when you need anesthesiology or any injection 
something's wrong. Yeah. And that's yeah. what's amazing about the big farms. They preemptively yeah, put exactly. medicine in the feet. I mean, exactly. before it even starts. Exactly. I mean, and stuff like, like with Craig Good, we actually saw him give an injection to a piglet, mm-hmm. and, but it was clearly like the piglet had an infection and... You know, if you wanted to save its life, then it needed something. And that's that's what I'm talking about with, like, ethical use of these things. Like, you have medicine and there's a reason for it. But if you're just pumping it, you know, into these animals because you know otherwise they're going to die before you can make money off of them, it's poor ethics. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, what bothers you most about the big farms? Like, having grown up in Indiana and then you see these heritage farms and you support all these local farms that are doing things the right way. Is it the animal rights? Is it the taste? Is it the medicine in the feed? Like, well, what the, gets your gut as a chef? Because everyone flavor, has to rely on it. The flavor definitely is night and day between the stuff yeah. that we get from you and the stuff that you buy, even at the good grocery stores like Westside Market. You know, actually, right after I got back, I did a couple of classes for the staff at the restaurant where I kind of just went over the farms and the outline of the trip and everything. And then I uh, took our pork chops that you bring in. And I cooked them, and then I went to the store, oh, West really? Side, yeah, West Side Market. It's like huh. a block down and across the street. It's actually a really it's good, a good grocery market. store. Yeah, yeah. yeah. meat great. is a different. It's a part of a market. It's not yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, and they have you know organic stuff and all this. And I just bought the same cut of meat of pig, and I showed it to everybody raw. And you can like you just looking at it, it's night and day. You know hmm. the the heritage stuff is well marbled, and it has a darker color. And the awesome. flesh is a different texture when you poke it. It's a little softer. And then the stuff from the market, it's just straight pink all the way through. Hmm. You know, and a lot of that's just product marketing, too, is pork being marketed as a lean product. So the big farms, right. they breed all the fat out of it, you know. Hmm. Now, uh, you can't avoid processed food. I mean, I, I had a turkey sandwich yesterday from a turkey that suffered in a big factory farm. Sure, absolutely. What is your goal? I mean, as a chef, as someone who's so closely related to food, when you're not in the restaurant and you're, you know, how do you eat? Are you all crazy and like, oh, I will not eat this. It is not local or how does it work? I eat pretty horribly when I'm not in the restaurant. Yeah, Yeah. Almost as a reaction to the fact that you're working with all these pristine ingredients. Well, I mean, honestly, when I cook at home, it's usually product that I'm working with at the restaurant. Okay. Right? Um, because it is, it's it's really the best quality stuff that I can get to. I, I buy from the same farmers that I buy for, from for the restaurant, you know. But when I'm not at home, when I'm running around, I mean, you know, I eat a lot of pizza and crap out of the box. And we do a lot of Chinese takeout and yeah. stuff. But it's New York, you know. They have and, to keep and, those delivery guys in, in, exactly, in action. I always think exactly. they cook. They, they yeah. come so fast, the Chinese delivery thing. I always think they cook it in the bike. In the, yeah, Just in they the box, pedal right? to yeah. keep the yeah. basket hot. But it's, you know, it's it's a little different. From, if I wasn't in the restaurant, I would definitely have a different attitude towards what I ate and cooked at home. But knowing, you know, that I can, especially during the busy season like now, that I can really provide like a large order mm-hmm. to a small farm, you know, like I'm, you know, Lynn Haven, for example, they, they rely on their markets to be able to continue to do what they do. But, you know, an entire day's worth of market business, I don't know what mm-hmm. she's selling, but, you know, might be $1,000 in sales or something. Mm-hmm. And I can come in there every Wednesday and give her 450 bucks, you know, right. and, and know that that's really putting a base underneath what she's doing and helping support that, you know, just like the same way you never would have been able to get off your feet without the Batali yeah, yeah, yeah. support. So, you know, knowing that, that I'm doing that, and that's directly my decision because I don't have to buy from her and I don't have to buy from you. 
is a good peace of mind, you know. Yeah. Now, let me ask about these chefs that uh, buy commodity either because they have to or because they don't get it or whatever. I mean, it is an interesting and would be a, a cool almost challenge to make average tasting stuff taste spectacular. I mean, from the perspective of the chef, is a chef like, oh, let me just shepherd through this piece of agriculture to the plate, like a la Alice Waters? Or is it like, oh, I will make even a, a rotten piece of fish taste like uh, a four-star fish? Or, I mean, how where's that line drawn between where you come in and where you don't, you know, in your personal cooking style? Um, well, I mean, a lot of that stuff, like if you have – you know, I mean, rotten, obviously, if it's well, rotten, well, yeah, it's yeah, disgusting yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're not going to eat it. Yeah. But generally, you're just dealing like when you get the commodity stuff, there's less flavor inherent in what you're buying. Right. It just it's just more bland because because there's less fat in it because of the diet, because of the exercise. You know, it just it's just bland. So you have to add a lot more to it to get big flavors. Right. So, you know. There's a fine line. So you'll like, you put know, more. I mean, not to say that you guys seasonings ever use, or different yeah, things. At home, if you were to have a commodity, you know, you're yeah. in Indiana and you go to the Costco and you pick something up, you'll add more to it to try to help it. Yeah, to yeah. try to jump the flavors up. You know, mm-hmm. you might do brines or marinades or stuff like that. But the you know the Berkshires, like you don't need to do anything. It's fresh. You mm-hmm. cut it and throw it on the grill with salt and pepper. It's delicious. You know, but you you know the more bland you get, the more you have to put into it. Um, not to say, you know, that you wouldn't want to use a good quality of pork for something that's inherently a spicy food, like a curry or something like that, you know? Yeah, like yeah. even, you know, curry with bland pork is going to be not as good as curry with yeah, still, amazing pork, Even you with know? it, yeah, for sure. But, um, but yeah, definitely, you know. And, it, and there's certain, it, it's a philosophy thing, too, because this is still a, a new movement and there's still... A lot of people that don't know about it or really mm-hmm. understand what it is or understand the difference in the quality of the products. Or they might have heard so, it about the movement, but they don't get it. Quite yeah, yet. yeah. So it's not the kind of thing where it's it's the standard and accepted, you yeah. know. So it's easy for restaurants to get away with using commodity products and yeah. not having it be a detrimental thing, you know. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you said something very true because uh, they just had Steve Jenkins as the first evolutionary and he was the first, arguably, but very close to the first guy to bring not even domestic cheeses, but European cheeses here. And that was in 1981. I mean, that's not that far along. So uh, we are going to take a short break and come right back uh, for our final segment with Zach Kell. Uh, we are sponsored by S. Walsh Edwards & Sons. And this one's called Burgundy, also by The Hollows on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Oh, 
Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Well, Jack, uh, you know, we always say HRN is not quite, you know, where it needs to be at the level of NPR in terms of listeners, but there are certain advantages of a very small listenership. I think we have one listener. Hey, Mom, call me at 1 o'clock. I uh, need to come over and uh, pick up uh, some of that uh, old olive oil that you have been aging. All right. All right. I'll be there in a bit. All right. Well, <laughs> we're back. Um, we are with Zach Kell the chef of Community Food and Juice. And we are talking about a farm trip that he took to, uh, along with the three other chefs and a couple of people from Heritage to meet some of the people who had been providing him the proteins for the main courses at his restaurant. And uh, it was a very fun trip. We visited pig farms and, and lamb farms. And they even, uh, this was mostly in Kansas. They even had those... Uh, kind of hunting or what do you call herding dogs from babe <laughs> well, not border from collies. Babe, border yeah. collies yeah those were impressive uh, the yeah, way they really keep cool. those i have actually a picture of all these like whatever sheep and goats i guess they were herding and then there's like this weird little mini horse yeah little sebastian, <laughs> little the, sebastian. yeah the miniature the miniature horse <laughs> the little uh, temperamental scared horse patrick what farms were these who uh, were some of the farmers well you've met and it's funny you've met all the heritage people you've met uh larry and madonna sorrell yeah uh amy and craig good who came to your first fundraising party they did and uh and then frank reese of course the mythological frank reese he's kind of like a jesus christ of sorts i mean you drive onto his property everything looks plain going up there or not spectacular and then he's this like heavy presence because also what he holds on that farm is yeah yeah it was that was really an incredible place with i mean what does he have now over like 200 different yeah, but, breeds of poultry. yeah but just between the chickens and, and the turkeys yeah. and the and the crosses and he keeps them all separated i mean yeah. i I and just the a, whole idea of what he does going around and finding near extinct breeds and then bringing them back and mm-hmm. breeding them into enough to to make it actually a sustainable line mm-hmm. again like it's it's and reading old poultry books and meeting yeah. with other experts to determine which breeder is the best one I mean that's got to be the most important farm in the country Yeah yeah it's huge I mean it's as a far museum. as this, especially Especially when you talk about the poultry industry and that being the worst as far as commodities going and, and really like healthy chickens disappearing from the face of the planet. And yeah. what he, like he's really shepherding, you know, he's, he's 
trying to save something that's dying. Yeah, and, and he's saving incredible. 30 things. I mean, let me say it. I do not give a shit if Joel Salatin's chickens shit the yard and then the cow takes a piss and then he grows the corn and that it's all cycling in. Everyone talks about that guy, Joel Salatin. But let me say once and for all, Frank Reese is the most important farm in the country because he's doing something beyond just turning a profit. That guy is the last bastion. He actually, in fact, is not in it for profit. Yes, you know? he wants to become a non-profit. I mean, he makes his money selling his turkeys, but for the chickens and the ducks and the geese and the this and the that, he is really trying to uh, leave America better than it was you know, when he was born. Yeah, and yeah. that's goodshepherdpoultryranch.com. Yes, well, it's really HeritageFoodsUSA.com. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Mom, <laughs> mom, stop. Do not go to the computer and log on to that website. No, just kidding. Well, we did go to Manhattan, uh, Kansas, the Little Apple, as they call it, on this trip. And uh, things was that, got... Was it fake St. Patty's Day? Or, or fake St. <laughs> Patty's Day was the week before, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. This was fake. Or some, it didn't seem fake. I mean, we... Uh, we were, despite military guards with, like, rifles. Presence, yeah. Large military presence. Outside of almost every bar. I mean, it was crazy. I, I didn't get that. That is a buzzkill. I mean, I hope they realize that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there was actually a large military base that's very close to the okay. town. So, um, But it was strange to walk into a college town bar strip <laughs> and see the local police standing next to not even, like, reserve no. or... Uh, or a National Guard, <laughs> no. but just like straight up straight army up. dudes with M16s in, on the street at like 2 a.m. Yeah, in fatigues. You and know, then you're getting in the into a station. car. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not drunk. We had a designated yeah, we driver. Had a designated driver. Thank God yeah. for Catherine. Yeah. She's like, I can do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, Sam Edwards was kind of the thing that worried me the most about walking around the town <laughs> intoxicated. Sam Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Edwards, of course, is the sponsor of today's show <laughs> and the uh, owner of an 82-year-old curing ham business. And well, I thought we would lose him as a uh, customer when I humped a cutout cardboard poster of Ronald Reagan. I think I and then rubbed it on your butt. Yeah, I rubbed yeah. it on my butt. That's what it was. I uh, was not very honorable, but although they reacted to it very well at that Republican enclave, oh, yeah. I thought I'd yeah. get my ass kicked. Yeah, I know, especially since as soon as we walked walked into the bar there was a line of people waiting to have their picture taken with it i know, I know. <laughs> well not after i got my butt in there now you almost got into a little tiff if i recall with lane a certain farmhand from good farm and a certain pool player right or no, something? no no not lane yeah this actually, lane wasn't this there is, this this was sam edwards oh really yeah. so uh so Sam and uh, Stephen wanted to play pool. Stephen is the chef of Farmstead Restaurant in Napa Valley. Yeah. Although maybe edit that out if the story turns. <laughs> well, so so unbeknownst to me, you know, I'm I'm hanging out and we're drinking at a table, and uh, Sam and Stephen wanted to play pool, but there were two guys on the pool table that were both very intoxicated. <laughs> on and, the uh, pool table. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, so I'm I'm actually a certified instructor in two different forms of martial arts. I've been speaking to Sam about this earlier on. And so so they wanted to play pool. So Sam, I guess this is a, I found all this out later. Uh-huh. Had gone to the guys at the pool table and told them that I was going to get into a fight with them. <laughs> right? And got them kind of riled up. Sam is 60 years old by yeah. the way. He's not like 12. And then and then he went to the bouncer. <laughs> 
and told the bouncer that the guys at the pool table were talking shit and they were going to try to get into a fight with me. Oh, my God. And then came and told me, right, that they were going to jump me somewhere outside the bar. So, so then I, this is all over the period of about 20 minutes. So then I went to the bouncer and I was like, listen, I told those guys over there are pissed at me for some reason and they're going to try to fight me. And I just want you to know about it because if they physically assault me, I'm going to really hurt them. Yeah. And I don't want to have to do that. And he's like, well, if anybody gets in a fight, you're all going out the door. And I'm like, listen, man, I'm going to do everything I can to stop this from happening. But if it does happen, you know, just keep your eyes on them because I can't go anywhere near them. So the bouncer now being approached by two different people. And seeing this guy, I didn't know that Sam went this to the is bouncer the worst yet. Manhattan right? fight of all yeah. time. Nothing's actually happened. <laughs> Nothing at all, right? <laughs> so the bouncer sees these guys at the pool table. I turn around after that, and I go back to my beer, and I turn back around, and the bouncer's escorting these guys out of the bar. Oh, really? Yeah. And Sam and Stephen are, you know, putting their money in the pool table oh, to they, set up their game. That was all for that. So it was all Sam like <laughs> orchestrating this whole thing to get these dudes pool thrown table. out so he could play pool. Wow. Yeah, I was like, you are a, a criminal genius. mastermind. Yeah, see, he could be a military general in, in any in any armed yeah. force initiative. That is impressive. It was really incredible. That's why. And then you remember at the gas station, he invited those drunk girls to get in the van and we'd give them a ride. And I'm like, Sam, what are you doing, man? They're <laughs> We're not military them to the everywhere. Goods. What do you do? I know. What would Amy Good say? Who are these three women in my bed? But uh, oh my god, that is hilarious! It was, um, yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, it's it's almost like, uh, well, there were these huge bars. I mean, each bar you would go one huge bar, and then there'd be another back room with a huge bar again, and like. A well, dance it should space. be mentioned that it was. Uh, this was the Saturday before St. Patrick's Day. Little St. Patty's Day. Yeah, which in Kansas, I guess it it was Kansas State University there, right? Mm-hmm. Is spring break is just ending on that weekend. So mm-hmm. when we were there, it was actually fairly quiet. I see. Right? Because everybody was out of town. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still the day before St. Patty's Day, so everybody who was still in town was out. Otherwise, I imagine it would have been like a kind of a ghost town. Yeah, it would have been a little bit more. Now, uh, and you shot guns. Were you a good shooter? I forget. Stephen Barber was a very good shooter. Yeah, Stephen Barber surprised everybody. Yeah. I was mediocre, you know. And then the girls, like, what usually happens when you put a gun in a girl's hand, they're always like, no, I don't want to shoot a gun. But then they turn out to be incredible shots. They all, like, hit everything. Or they shoot so. themselves, one of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's happened with a couple. No, but uh, no, girls are usually <laughs> very good. They're good at free throws and shooting, I've noticed. Nice girls. Joke. Is that true, Jack? Free throws, yeah. I mean, girls are always – I've never beaten a girl in a free throw competition, and I'm a pretty good basketball player. But uh, that was uh, no. It was definitely a, a great trip, and and those people are uh, amazing people. I recommend everybody. Manhattan, Kansas, Little Manhattan. They've got microbreweries there. We didn't really get to go to uh, the restaurants, but what about that party that the Lamb guy threw us in that gorgeous barn with the cows oh, yeah. in the basement? In, oh. the, in the event space, he was the son of like a big farmer, right? Yeah, you could tell they were just, doing yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Now you've gotten his lamb since. I have, I have, and it's good. I actually just tried the uh, the merguez samples. Did you oh, get yeah. those from from Lou Phantasma yeah, from in an Phantasma. effort to move more lamb? 
of course, I've said this before on the station, everyone talks about nose to tail, but most Americans aren't looking to eat a hoof or a shank or something, you know, but ground meat and hamburger meat uh, or sausages and things of that sort, uh, everyone loves. So it's a very ingenious way to move more pounds for farmers if you can make a good ground product. So Lou tried a couple merguez. I mean, we thought they were a little mealy maybe for a first try, uh, but... It was a very solid first effort, and I think maybe we got to go one more whack at it or yeah, two. Yeah, I think what a, did you? a slightly different grinding process and, mm-hmm. and definitely more fat. More fat. Yeah, I think some of that, I mean, you know, you want it to be all lamb, but he gets all that great fat back in. He needs to, like, Throw a little push pork a little, in there. Yeah, a little fat back in there would be Sorry, really good. Jews and Muslims. But, yeah. This merguez is not <laughs> for you. Hey, generally when you're making sausages, more fat better? I'm not sure. Um, to a certain extent, I mean, the same thing with hamburger, you know, there's always a different grind. I think, uh, the Shake Shack burgers are like a, a 60, 40, maybe, or maybe a 70, 30. That's pretty fatty. Which is, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's why they're so good. So that's 70 or 60% lean and 40% fat. Yeah. Yeah. Or fatty beef, you know? Um, but it depends. I, you know, the thing is the way that that guy raises his lambs. They're they're very lean. You know, they run around and they're free range, and you know they don't eat a lot of grain. And that these are all like contributing factors to the the meat that you actually get yeah. off of the animal. So if they're just grinding his animal straight, they are going to be a little lean. But the thing That's is true. that the fat content, Jack, really has to do with how dry the sausage is when you cook it. Uh, less fat means that more moisture is going to escape, and you're going to have like more uh, product that's going to kind of suck moisture out of mm. your mouth when mm. you eat it, which gives you that dry thing. Fat coats the inside of your mouth, mm. which keeps the moisture intact. So if you have a lower fat content, you're going to get like kind of a drier, mealier thing instead of like the tender, juicy ground product, mm. you know. Well, you know, Jason, who was also on the trip, it was Jason and Matt from the Batali and Bastianich Vegas restaurants, he actually took a picture of the lamb he gets and the katadin, and he noticed that the fat cap was very little for those same reasons. So I called Hubbard, and now he's going to process next time he brings in, next month, a different breed, a fattier breed, because he uh, he sees he has to overcome the kind of free range. I mean, that's the problem with grass-fed too, right? I mean, Yeah, absolutely. You know, And, that, and that's a reason why... Grass-fed beef, are, I mean. Yeah, there are specific breeds of beef that handle it well like the piedmontese Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. because they're bred to be a fattier animal so you can still grass feed them and free range them and everything but they still maintain the proper amount of marbleization and And a burger you have a lot more freedom to put more fat in it whereas with the steak that steak is just the steak yeah yeah i mean you know anytime you grind anything you can put whatever you want in it right the steak is just it's a solid piece of meat. You can lard them and stuff, but that's, you know. Now, the merguez, isn't it supposed to be a little bit more shriveled? I mean, it's not, is it usually the, I've always seen them like in, when I would live in France or whatever, they were these other sausages that like look like different. like a cured, the cured yeah. product? Yeah. Yeah. You can have them both ways. There's a fresh and a cured, just like okay. chorizo. Okay. You know, you can get the fresh Mexican chorizo. It comes in casings and everything, mm. but usually they cut it open and then fry it kind of like ground beef or ground pork, which is mm-hmm. what it is. But you can also have like an air-cured chorizo. Same thing with merguez, or merguez. really any sausage, you know. Well, um, this has been a great show. We've gone uh, over by uh, four minutes, but uh, we think uh, 
Zach's restaurant is a great one. We really recommend for people who come. It's uh, you know, people who are like, oh, I don't want to go to some crazy place that's you know uh, all, all wild, and you're from the re- another part of the country. That place is going to be consistent. And for New Yorkers, it is a very pleasant surprise. You get a sampling of antipasta sauces and dips, and you got honest hamburgers, and you got a lot of healthy foods like salads. What is it? It's an Asian salad, right, that you – yeah, the rice bowls. The rice big bowls, seller. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. rice bowls. Um, so we're big fans, and uh, you're going to be hearing uh, as much uh, of Zach as, as he's willing to give when he comes back onto the station. Thanks for being a guest. Thanks for having me. Jack, great job. Thanks. Happy to be here. Congratulations on all your success and all the events and all the post-produced pieces. Stay tuned for Straight No Chaser. Go Knicks. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.